Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. Excited uh, to, to dive into God's Word again today. And thank you for taking the time. I know in what can be a very busy time uh, as we get start approaching Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, for you to take some time to get into God's Word today. I do want to give you a couple of announcements before we get started and we continue our study today in 2 Peter. If you want to go ahead and turn to that, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to uh, start uh, in verse 10b and then take a, go through uh, verse 22 today. So we'll finish chapter 2 today in 2 Peter. But I want to make you aware of something. As, as you know, uh, this is part of a men's discipleship strategy, and I know a lot of women uh, also participate uh, in our expository uh, you know, uh, curriculum when we're going through this in our Wednesday Bible study because there's not, this is not just about men, the things we're studying right now. So, But the bottom line is it's, the foundation of this is men's ministry, and themanchurch.com, uh, we launched in March uh, the Men's Discipleship Strategy, and uh, over 100 churches across the country have already implemented uh, or are about to implement uh, the, um, uh, the entire strategy. Well, this, well, the first thing that we ever put out was something called How to Be a Man, the Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity. It was a 40-day devotional. Uh, it is still available. Uh, and we, we, we got excited about that. We had a great response. So then we did a second installment from, from, from the How to Be a Man uh, uh, 40-day devotional series, and it was the real men of the Bible. We took eight men of the Bible and, and did 40 days on them. Well, we're, we're excited to say that we're now adding to that How to Be a Man 40-day devotional trilogy, the final installment of, of the How to Be a Man uh, series, and this one will be called Discovering What It Means to Be a Disciple. Uh, we talked a, l- a lot last week uh, about uh, discipleship and what does it mean, and you hear that talked about a lot. Uh, and what we've tried to do in, in men's ministry is to be intentional. We don't want to say to a man, be the spiritual leader, then not tell him what that looks like. Uh, and, and we don't want to, we don't want to tell a man uh, you know, that he should, uh, he, he should be sanctified and not explain to them what sanctification is. Uh, so these words that get thrown around a lot, we want to take time to actually unpack those, and we do it now with the word disciple. Well, what does it mean uh, to be a disciple? So we've taken uh, you know, eight different characteristics of discipleship and being a disciple. We do five days on each one of those. And if you would like to get that as a Christmas gift uh, for yourself or for uh, a man on your Christmas list or a friend, a brother, a son, uh, a dad, whatever the case may be, if you pre-order that right now, I'm going to autograph that copy for whomever you're sending that to. Uh, They'll ship in January, but you can go ahead and get yours now by going to How to Be a Man pre-sale Dot com. That's how to be a man, presale.com, and you'll see it there. We have an adult and student uh, edition, as we always do in the How to Be a Man series. So uh, if you would like to get that as a gift or just order it for yourself, uh, if you order on the presale, it will come to you autographed in January. So, so if you want to find out more about that, you can certainly go to themanchurch.com, but use that, um, that link for, uh, for you to get right to it, and that's how to be a man, presale.com. So uh, I will be going out a lot in 2021, as will the rest of our team. If you want to see those dates of gatherings of men and that are now sending men into our curriculum, uh, these are things to look forward to in 2021. Go to BurgessMinistries.com, look under events. You can see that. Uh, also, uh, we'll be launching a brand new 40-week uh, curriculum uh, in February of next year at our Pursuit Conference in Dothan, Alabama, and that's on February 19th and 20th. Steve Farrar will join us. Uh, Rich Wingo, Brody Kroll, uh, Michael Adler, our very own Chris Adler, uh, and I'll be speaking. Greg Burgess will be joining us. 
this year, and we'll all be there on February 19th and 20th, and that'll be also where we, we show for the first time our new 40-week curriculum, uh, which we'll launch in 2021. So be in prayer for all of us at themanchurch.com, and now let's pray and open up God's Word. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, I pray that you help us to, to gather and glean everything from these words today that are intended, uh, just as if Peter was inspired by the Holy Spirit and he and Silas sat down and, and wrote these words last week. Uh, your, your word is timeless and it is always relevant and help us to apply it appropriately today. In your holy name we pray, amen. So the last time we left Peter, uh, he, he remember about 2 Peter versus 1 Peter. 1 Peter is talking about persecution outside the church. This is him writing, writing to the other disciples of Christ about being persecuted by Nero and what persecution looks like from outside the church. Second Peter now goes inside the church and, and warns uh, the disciples of Christ of that day, be careful, watch out for false teachers and bad theology uh, as it will creep from the inside of the church. And we've, we're continuing that today. Uh, Peter started this narrative last week and now we're going to pick up, we had actually left in verse 10 uh, when he's saying, here's some things to look for in a false teacher. These are some things you should see. So now in 10b, he continues to talk about these false teachers. And here's what he says, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. These are angels that he's talking about when he says glorious ones. Look at verse 11. Whereas angels, you see the confirmation there, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. So if, if you're wondering why is, is Peter saying one of the things about these false teachers is they will blaspheme angels. The reason why he's saying this, uh, there, there, were, there was a lot of bad theology in Peter's day where people began to kind of denounce the supernatural parts uh, of, uh, of Scripture. Uh, they begin to deny, of course, the deity of Jesus. They, they begin to say that all this supernatural talk about angels and demons and, and that, that all this was false. The Sadducees were, uh, were, were big deniers of angels. They, they didn't deny the existence of them altogether. If you want a, a reference uh, of that, if you go to the book of Acts, and we did a study here on Acts, um, the book of Acts, uh, go to chapter 23. You can write this down. Verse 8, that's Acts 23, 8. You'll see this discussion about Sadducees and their denial of the existence of angels. And, and what Peter is saying, the angels actually showed restraint, even though these false teachers blasphemed them, uh, because they knew that ultimately vengeance belongs to God. Uh, it, it says these angels are more powerful than these false teachers. Uh, they could attack them. They could destroy them but they actually showed restraint because they knew that it was God that ultimately will deal with these false teachers. And if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever read this account, write this down too, Jude, which uh, uh, many commentators, uh, they're pretty confident that, you know, James, uh, uh, who wrote the book of James, Jesus' earthly uh, human brother, but also Jude was another one of his brothers uh, as far as uh, being in the same family, having the same uh, earthly father is Joseph and, and mother Mary. So Jude writes about this account because he also is talking about false teachers and false prophets. And, and Jude writes about this account in June chapter 9. You know, when Moses finally, finally died 
uh, Satan uh, was going after the bones of Moses. He wanted Moses' body to be found uh, by those that were following Moses because he knew that the, uh, the, the children of Israel uh, would make a God of Moses. They would, they would turn this into an altar, that he would be like an idol. So God made it very clear he did not want them to know where Moses was buried for this very reason. He didn't want there to be any confusion about worshiping Moses. So Satan said, I know that they will. So Satan begins to, to fight the archangel Michael uh, for the body of Moses. And, and this is what you, you see, an example of what Peter is talking about, about how the angels show restraint, and they allow God to deal with these false teachers who even blaspheme them. Um, and and it's, even you see the archangel Michael, and he's dealing with Lucifer. He's dealing with Satan himself, and he says, the Lord rebuke you. So even, even the archangel Michael is saying, when I'm dealing with Satan, when I'm dealing with, with darkness in the supernatural realm, I know that the Lord Jesus, God Almighty, is the one that rebukes you for what you're trying to do, and he's going to keep you from doing this. And of course, of course we know that he, that, that he did. Satan was not successful in that attempt. That's kind of where Peter's coming from uh, on what he's talking about. So then he moves on into uh, to verse 12. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Well, this doesn't sound very nice, does it? And we're, we're, you know, we know that, that Peter had the right spirit under the authority of God. And here's Peter uh, speaking very frankly and not being very kind about some of the things that he's referring to uh, that he's comparing false teachers to. And I think that's something that, again, we have to be sure that we understand. The ultimate goal uh, of, of, of the church is not to be liked. And, and I think we've lost our way on this. That we're, we're never supposed to point out any wrong. We're never supposed to say that something's wrong. Here's Peter. That, that This is Holy Spirit influenced and inspired. And he's saying, I'll tell you something about false teachers. Here's what I'm going to tell you. He said, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm telling you what these apostates are. These apostates are animals. They're, they're just like an animal. They're brute beasts. They don't have any reason. And, uh, and he uses the word brute in some of the English um, uh, uh, interpretations that you may have. This comes from the Latin word brutus, which means these false teachers, like animals, they are dull. They're irrational. Have you ever tried to, you ever had to, ever tried to reason with an animal? Uh, you, you can't really do it. And what they're mainly, all their reactions mainly are instinctive. They don't really have the ability to reason. And he says, when you're trying to reason with some of these false teachers, they're so far gone in blaspheming uh, pure theology, blaspheming what the what, what is the truth, that they're just like animals. They, it says they have stupid outbursts. If you read the, the Greek words here, stupid outbursts on things that they do not understand. They have left divine revelation, and you know what they've replaced it with? See if it sounds familiar today. They've left divine revelation, this is good, and they've replaced it with human reasoning. Well, we see that that is alive and well. Have you ever, have you been lately inside a Western church, and when you left there, you're like, I, I think I saw a Bible verse get put up on the screen at the beginning, but I never really heard it unpacked. I saw a Bible verse go on the screen, and then I basically heard this this person 
this man or this woman, because it could be either these days, uh, standing up here in front of us, and I'm leaving here, and what it sounds like is a lot of their opinion on things, uh, how they see the world or some kind of self-help stuff on, on how I could live my life differently or successfully or, or something like that. And, uh, and that's what he's talking about. This, was, this is not new. This was going on in Peter's day, and, and it kind of turns into the, this is where if you want to see somebody replacing divine revelation with human reasoning, and I know that a lot of you that are watching this and listening to this, this is one of those moments where you're going to have a you know, kind of a ding, ding, ding moment. Uh, I have a, a teacher who's really helped me, and he talks about this, ding, 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 and this is going to be one of those moments when people say this, well, here's what I believe. You ever heard that? Well, we don't care what you believe uh, unless it's divine. Now, if you want to point to divine revelation and say, I believe what the Bible says, I believe what God says, then that's fine. But when you start saying, well, the scriptures say this, this, and this, but here's what I believe. And you know what else you hear from these people? Uh, now, the God that I worship wouldn't do this, or he would do this. I think the God that I worship would allow this. The God that I worship wouldn't do that. Have you ever heard that before? So that's all, that's all this garbage he's talking about. That, that, that's animals uh, that have abandoned divine revelation, uh, revelation, and they're basically going with their, their, their senseless, irrational, stupid outbursts, and now they begin to pontificate on things they don't even understand. And that's what Peter is talking about. Uh, they don't understand or believe uh, in, in supernatural things, and if you don't watch out, when you start talking about God's uh, you know, supernatural uh, existence, if you start talking about angels, you start talking about spiritual warfare, usually these people will make fun of it. You know, they'll, they'll, oh, that's, Burgess talking about you know, coming under attack and spiritual warfare. And, and see, that's exactly what the adversary wants you to think, is that spiritual warfare doesn't exist, or if it does exist, it's kind of corny and it's not any... You shouldn't really be all that concerned about the things you say and do, because this, this spiritual battle that is going on, this ever-present darkness that the Bible talks about, I'm not sure I really believe that. You know, the God that, uh, that I worship, he wouldn't, no, no, he wouldn't let people go to hell. Uh, the God that I worship, I mean, he wouldn't, I mean, this kind of stuff. And so this is exactly uh, what uh, he's talking about. Uh, but, but he does go on. Let's, let's continue the last part of this. Um, he says in, in verse 13, suffering wrong uh, for, the, for, for the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to, to, to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in deceptions while they feast with you. These are all descriptions of what these uh, false teachers, uh, if you've ever heard this before, uh, like, like the Marxists, Karl Marx and, and the Marxists, they openly in the daylight blasphemed God, blasphemed, blasphemed our, our belief in God, and, and it was interesting because there were two people Sinclair Lewis, uh, a long time ago, who was a, a raging Marxist, he, they loved to go out in the middle of the day and do things like they'll just openly blaspheme God. And he thought he was going to be cute one day when he stood up and he, he got his watch out. He said, I'm blaspheming God. I don't believe in God. And I'm giving God 10 minutes to strike me dead. And so he gets his watch out and he counts down 10 minutes waiting on God to strike him dead. And Joseph Parker, a follower of Christ, was there in the audience and he said to him, Sir, 
I find it odd that you think you can exhaust God's patience with 10 minutes. And uh, so he, he didn't understand how gracious God was being and how patient God was being with him. And I can speak to that. God has been incredibly patient with me. I might, have, might not have directly blasphemed him, but I indirectly blasphemed him by the way I lived. And I was no better than someone who blasphemed him openly in the daylight. And he showed me much grace and patience. And, but he says they have abandoned, in, in, in verse 13, they've abandoned their restraint. They do this in the open, opening. And this is what I thought was cool, that Peter's using this term. These kinds of false teachers, they are blemishes. They are, they are stains. They are, they are blots on the church. Now, where do, we, where do we hear that description before? Paul in Ephesians 5. Paul in Ephesians 5, using marriage, of course, and this is in verse 27 in Ephesians 5, uh, Ephesians 5, Paul is telling us that we should treat as husbands our wife as Christ tre- treated the church. And it says that he, he, he gave up himself for the church, but also he wanted to, to present the church because of reconciliation back to God without blemish, without spot, without stain. So here's Peter saying, I'll tell you what these false teachers are. They're blots, they're blemishes, and they're stains. They keep the church from being pure and refined as Christ will present it in the end. You know what that means? These people will be removed. They will be outed, and they will be removed. But here's the problem. When, when these false teachers are removed by God, when the blots and the blemishes and the stains are removed from the church, if you're somebody who bought into their teaching, you're going to be removed with them. Because look at the next thing that he says. He says, they feast while all this is going on. Out in the daylight, they revel and they blaspheme God as if nothing's going to happen. And, and, and they reveal their deceptions. Uh, another word in some of your manuscripts that, that they had back then says that they reveal their love feast. And that's why Peter goes on to say this, while they feast with you. Now, we see this all the time. This is talking about they live a life of, of luxury. They live as if, you know, that here it is. Look at God blessing me. I've got all these cars. I've got all these planes. I've got all these houses. I've got this gigantic church. I've got all these people. I've got all this wealth. And Peter's saying, but they're blaspheming God. This is not how it's going to end. He, he, these blemishes, these blots, these stains, they will be removed, and you will be removed with them. Now, why is that? Well, look at, number, look at verse 14. Now he's getting really clear about why these false teachers are the way that they are, and I think we have to understand this. I think sometimes we're just afraid to say this about false teachers, and I know for me, I was afraid to say this about myself. You're just lost. You're, 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 there's not some kind of in-between here. You know, like I've talked about before, one of the biggest deceptions I had in my life was thinking people who really were disciples of Christ were just into it more than I was. I was just as much a disciple of Christ as they are because I would have never said disciple of Christ. I would have said thing like believer or Christian. And I said, but, but I just thought, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not fake. I'm not false. Uh, I just, I don't, they're just more into it. They're, they're a little over the top with it all. I remember thinking that about my grandmother. And of course, now that I understand, thank you for her influence in my life, Lord. 
I understand that my, my, my grandmother was not a radical. She was just a, a, a disciple of Christ. <laughs> that's all she was, and the rest of us weren't. So, so anyway, that's what uh, Peter's saying. He's going to tell you, he said, they have all the makings of lost people. Look what he says in 14. They have eyes full of adultery. He says, they have an insatiable appetite for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, and then he calls them accursed children. Now, now he just gets down to it. He's like, if you don't understand what I'm saying, I'm saying they're accursed. I'm saying they're lost. I'm saying that they lack redemption. They're totally fake in what they're doing. They have all the makings of lost people, and, uh, and that, this is what false teachers look like. And, you know, one of the things, if you see Peter making the, the statement, and we don't really, when he makes the statement, about this, one of the things that's always a characteristic of a false teacher, once he says it, it's not like we heard it for the first time. You know what most of us do? You know what he's right. You know what he says? There's always a problem with sexual purity. Always. They, they have eyes full of adultery. I mean, when their eyes cast upon the women that they may be in a place of authority over, all they're thinking about is how to sexually be satisfied by these women. They look upon them as sexual objects. They, you, you always find out they got something going on on the side. They're always, how many times, how many times are we going to hear that uh, some man who was in a position uh, that he placed himself there as some sort of spiritual leader, and we always find out he's had adulterous affairs going on with multiple women, even within his own church body, even within his own ministry, Why he's out on the road. Uh, we hear this over and over and over, and so you'll always find a problem with sexual purity with a false teacher, and and you know what else? They they the way they talk, you'll find out they're usually very gifted speakers, very gifted speakers, and they always entice you and they allure you. These are always the kind of people that before you know it, the people that they they that they have been placed in authority over begin to worship them instead of God. We've all seen this. They become like a celebrity. They become kind of the focus of all the attention as a, because they, they're alluring, they're, they're enticing. And, and a lot of times how, how they end up in these relationships with these women, a lot of times these women that they're placed in charge of become so enamored with them that they use it to get them in bed. And this is something that, uh, that, that Peter says, you're going to see this. And let me tell you something, when you see this kind of behavior, and this is something we cannot miss, because I think until you treat these kind of things serious, you know, then, then you'll always be fooled by it. So what we need to realize is this isn't a person that's just having a tough go. This isn't a person that just kind of had a moment of weakness. Usually what's happening here is this is a person who is lost. They're a false teacher. This is not like I said last week. This is not like Apollos or not like Rick or other people that at some part of our faith, maybe we didn't know Scripture as well yet, and we needed to mature, and maybe we presented something not quite theologically correct, but we're not trying to deceive you. We're just not mature enough yet. These people are false, 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 and they are deceivers, and as Peter says, they're accursed, and they're lost. Look at 15. He goes on to say in, in verse 15, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, who loved gain for wrongdoing. Now, do you remember the story of Balaam? I said Balaam, it's Balaam. 
Uh, do you remember the story? If you've got your Bible, you can you can uh, put um, a Numbers uh, twenty-two through twenty-six. Um, what we'll what we'll find here is this is the story of Balaam, whose motive was that he loved money, and and he wanted um, he wanted to be paid to deliver good news. Now, do, do you remember this? This is this is when he he was he kept trying to get paid and take all the money uh, from from uh, the Moabites, and he and he had an opportunity to get a lot of money from them if he would just continue to to hand down a curse on God's people and to side with them. And every time he tried to deliver the message that he wanted to deliver in order to get the money from the king uh, that, that had all kinds of gold for him, God would correct him. He would actually bless God's people as opposed to, to cursing them. He was willing to curse God's people for money. And, of course, what happened in this story is we know this is when the donkey talked to him and corrected him because he was trying to go and do what he wanted to do to get his money, and an angel stood in the way, and the donkey could see the angel, but Balaam couldn't, and the donkey finally turns around and says, hey, man, I don't know why you're hitting me. And so God keeps trying to get Balaam corrected, saying you are not delivering the message that, that I want you to deliver. You're, you're delivering the message. See if this sounds familiar. You're delivering the message that's going to get you paid the most. And he kept correcting Balaam over and over again, and then ultimately, you know what happened? The, the allure of the money was too much for Balaam, so he sided with the Moabites, and he died with them. God eventually killed him, along with the enemies of his people. But, if, but, but you know what? He was willing to go for money than to be right with God. And here in verse 15, you see that, um, uh, that uh, Peter is, make, is, is making sure that the people reading this remember the story of Balaam. It says in 16, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. But eventually Balaam even got past that and ended up being killed because he just would not give up this attempt. And of course, this is always the story that we find that if you don't think you can be used by God, he even used a donkey, but you can sometimes use another word for that. So he can certainly use you or use me. Uh, but uh, so he's saying that these false teachers are just like Balaam. So look at 17. He's, he's now saying that they produce nothing of value to a thirsty soul. You're, we're sitting here needing to be fed, and these people get up in high places, and, and, and we're wanting so much to hear something from the Lord. You know, our soul is thirsty. And you know what they deliver to us? Nothing. Nothing that quenches our thirst. Look at 17. They are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For them, the other utter darkness has been reserved. So the first thing you realize is they produce nothing of value to a thirsty soul. Second thing you see in verse 17 is that, how about this? They are whirling tornadoes. They are a tempest of destruction. They're like mists that are driven by storms. It would almost be like you running toward a tornado saying, I want to be part of this. And then before you know it, it rips you to shreds. He said, that's what they are. And they tempt you, but they tempt you not to, 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 they don't try to pull you or point you to the Lord. He says, you know what they point you to? They point you to destruction. And, and here's the thing we have to think about when we're studying this. Hey, brothers, sisters, if, if you don't want to be tempted by this, if you don't want to be drawn into a tornado, if you don't want to be enticed and lured 
and to destruction, you've got to know the difference. You've got to know the difference. Can you sit down or walk into some church, and I, I'm putting quotes around that, or some, uh, some event and know or see something on TV and know whether or not that's a false teacher? I, I hope you take these things. This entire chapter 2 of Second Peter says what they look like. So take time to know because it's a big deal. Your eternity may ride on it. And then he goes on to say, the last part of 17, they ruin other people as their own ruin comes. And that ruin comes at God's speed. Remember that. Don't ever rush the Lord. He is patient. But eventually, just because God is slow to anger, I think some of us think that means God never angers. That's not what that means. It says he's slow to anger. He's patient, and it's not. No one's going to force him because you, you know. A lot of times, you look at these false teachers, and you go, "Why were they allowed to go on so long?" Well, that's God. God. God takes care of these things at His speed. But remember, for them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved, but it has also been reserved by all who have been deceived by them. That's one thing you got to understand. That's why this is extremely important. And right now, I promise you, as we it, when we, on, on the days of days ahead, and as we get through the end times, I don't know the calendar on that, the timeline, nor does anyone else uh, on this earth. But I can tell you this: the state of the Western Church right now is is being purged, and and and, it, and now more than ever, these false teachers are popping up everywhere, and you have to know the difference, so you won't be led astray. Verse eighteen: their preaching is empty. There's, it's, it's empty. For speaking loud boast of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So what is Paul talking about here? Well, first of all, it's easy. Uh, the easy part's the first part. They're empty preaching. They sound so smooth. They sound so good. What an eloquent speaker this is. What passion this teacher has. But see, my dad used to have a statement that I can't really use in this Bible study, but I'll give you a version that might work. It's not going to be as good. It won't drive the point home as good. But my dad used to have this statement, and I, I don't know who he heard it from. Uh, but it was, it was dealing with coaching and talking about people that, that rattle on, but they really there's no substance to what they're saying. It might be somebody bragging about how they were going to beat us or whatever. And he would say, have you, do you know one thing about an empty wagon? And we would say, what? He goes, it rattles. It makes a lot of noise. Now, he said it a different way, but an empty wagon makes a tremendous amount of noise. But there's nothing in it. An empty wagon sometimes makes more noise than one that's got something in it. It rattles. And this is what Peter is saying. He's saying, look, they're, they're eloquent speakers and they make a lot of noise, but they got nothing to say. Their, their words are empty. And he says, uh, uh, they speak so well, but they say nothing. And he says, it, it's, it's the, the, if you look at the Greek words here, you know what he says it is? It's high-sounding nonsense. Have you ever heard that before? You ever heard a band that was like really loud, but you couldn't understand what they were saying? And you know, he said, I don't even understand what this is. It's just a bunch of noise. And that's, that's the analogy he's using about these false teachers, these empty wagons. But he says their words are appealing to a carnal world. Remember we talked about when, 
when when Timothy is is being uh, you know he's being coached by Paul and the letters to Timothy. And one of the things he said, what? Now, I just got to tell you, Timothy, people are going to search out these teachers that will affirm them and, and, and tickle their ears, and they'll find teachers that will confirm for them their own fleshly desires. They'll, they'll find a teacher that will make God who they want God to be. They'll find a teacher that says things that, that, that says, you know, that's the way I want God to be. That appeals to me. I get to do what I want to do according to this teacher. This teacher says God's this, and this teacher says God's not that, and this teacher says this is okay, and this teacher says that God's changed his standard for this, and I like that. This is convenient for me. I found a teacher that will say the way I'm living my life is okay with God when some other teacher says, uh, said that it wasn't. But here's the question. What does the Bible say? See, the false teachers will always make you think this Bible has evolved or that it's changed, or it's antiquated and outdated, and you can't really trust it. It's, I don't know, it's not inerrant. There's some errors here. Human beings were involved, and that kind of garbage. And you need to be very, very careful. They tell us what we want to hear. Now, what does he mean on this one part? And I found this to be interesting when I was studying this. What, did, what does he mean by the second part is that they, they, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. These, these are people that get really close. I'm almost there, but then this false teacher comes in, and right when you were about to get it right, you were close, and then they take you and turn you, and you know what they usually turn you with? Sensuality. Look, I, I remember... Man, if I could have had a false teacher come in to me and say, hey, look, the way you're living sexually, don't worry about that. I mean, God, God doesn't care about that. Or, well, if you go God's way, you have to give this up. Surely God doesn't want you to have to give this up. Doesn't he want you to be happy? Doesn't he want you to just, why would God deny you this? This kind of stuff. In, in the book of 2 Samuel, you remember the horrible time that David went through with his son Absalom. And Absalom began to buy into the hype that he should overthrow David. And there was a man uh, that uh, we find about you know, the earthly repercussions for sin. David was forgiven because of his contrite heart and the fact that he repented of sinning against God when he took Bathsheba from Uriah. Uh, and, of course, uh, had a baby with her that died and, and then took her as his wife, and Uriah was killed in the process. Well, Bathsheba's grandfather never got over that. He hated David, and he never got past it. And you find in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 16, verse 21, that he begins to fill Absalom with an idea, and it was exactly what Absalom wanted to hear because he had his own, but the grandfather had his own agenda. He wanted to use Absalom to get David. And you remember what he told him on? Go on the palace and have sex with all of your father's concubines. Openly rape them on the, on the palace roof. And, that, and, and everybody will go with you and they'll help you overthrow your father because you should be the king. And you know what Absalom said? That sounds pretty good to me. I think I will do that. 
and he was sold that that was probably the right thing to do because your dad should be overthrown. And you know what? Absalom had a chance to be redeemed, but somebody talked him into doing something that he really wanted to do anyway. Same thing. Look, look at when, when Paul stood before Felix. They were so close. But you know what you found in both these? Felix is there in Acts 24, 25, and Paul, it appears, is getting to him. Felix is starting to think, you know, Paul may be right. But, but guess what was used against Felix? There was a woman. And that woman didn't want him to go along with what Paul's saying. And he got to the point that he desired that woman more than he desired being right with God. Same thing with King Agrippa. In, in, in 26, verse, uh, chapter 26, verse 28 in the book of Acts, King Agrippa, remember Paul telling King Agrippa, you know what I'm talking about. You of all people know that Messiah is coming. And he's got King Agrippa, and he's got him right there, and he's almost about to be rescued. But then what happens? A woman. King Agrippa had his eye on somebody. And you know what, you know what Felix and Agrippa thought? To go with Paul is to not be with these women. And once again, the adversary and the false, and the false theology they had, that they were enticed by that sensual desire and they were so close. And I can tell you what, there's men everywhere that are so close to repenting and submitted to the authority of Christ. And one of the main things the adversary uses against them is they know they're going to have to give up some of their sexual prowess that is not pleasing to God. And they keep picking it over the truth. And you can find a teacher that will tell you not to worry about it. But that teacher is from the depths of hell. It is not a messenger of God. Verse 19. Verse 19 says they give empty promises. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person so that to that he is enslaved. Whatever overcomes a person. Now, this happens quite a bit in cults and, and false versions of faith. They always promise you so much freedom, so much grace abuse. You're free in Christ. Yeah, we're free from God's wrath if we've been reconciled through the redemption only provided by Christ's sacrifice. That's right. But we've not been given the freedom to sin. Romans chapter 6. We haven't been given that freedom. But these cults and these false teachers, they'll promise you so much freedom. But what they teach is completely the opposite. They preach so much freedom, but you know what they're really giving you? Enslavement to sin. Enslavement to sin. They don't want you to overcome the sin in your life. They want to tell you not to worry about it, that God, God loves you right where you are. God loves you right where you are. Not if you're unrepentant. No, no, God loves the repentant. God offers grace. And he may love you where you are, but he will not leave you there. And you know, the question isn't whether or not God loves us. The bigger question is, do we love him? And I see throughout Scripture, where Scripture keeps telling me that if I love Jesus and I love God, then I obey him. So this is that thing that you hear all the time, some of this false teaching. See, hey, God, hey, don't worry about it. 
I mean, just God, God understands. You know, you, you're still doing the things you've always done, and God's okay with that. Let me take you to, to Psalms chapter 5. Psalms chapter 5. Listen to this. Verse 4 in Psalms chapter 5. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Hmm. Well, I thought God loved us right where we are. It says here that, that he hates all evildoers. Six, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Does that sound like that no matter what you do, it's okay? God, God, that's fine. Does it look like that? It really doesn't. And, and, and if, you know, because if that's the case, then all this torture that Jesus went through was, why would we fool with all that? Well, we had to because God's wrath is coming on the unrighteous. And God can't help but reject anything that's not holy. So all that, all that that Jesus went through, that's how ugly sin really is. And no, God doesn't take sin lightly. Sin always matters. Sin's not personal. It affects everybody. But the false teacher won't tell you that. And he leaves you enslaved in your sin because redemption and repentance is rarely ever discussed. It's all about how God's going to make your life wonderful. It's all about that. He just wants want you to be happy. I remember John MacArthur's statement about one of the false teachers, Joel Osteen, when he wrote the book, Your Best Life Now. And John MacArthur, who you know beats around the bush quite a bit, said the only people who are living their best life now are people who are going to hell. Now, those people are living their best life now. This will be better than hell. But everybody else is living life that is nowhere near what it will be in the presence of God. We are not living our best life now. And that is not what our goal is. Our goal is to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God and to advance his kingdom, heaven-focused to the new heaven and the new earth, not trying to create heaven here on earth. But the false teacher will tell you the opposite. Verse 20, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first. Ooh, now this is a tough one, and we see Scripture talk about this a good bit. An exposure, an exposure, truth has been revealed to them, an exposure of, their, of, of the convert. So this is a person, and we'll get into some really rough words from Jesus, and, and it may apply to you that are watching this. It does apply to me. Um, and that is, these are people that, have, that know the truth. These are not people that were never told the gospel. These are people that knew the truth. They might have even had some sort of, hey, I, I, I'm converted. I, I think I believe that. They know the truth, but then they return and they go back to the life that will now be worse than the life they had before. They knew the truth. They, they even started moving into and started pretending like they were redeemed. I don't know whether they were or they weren't. That's not for me to say. But then Peter says there are people that know the truth, maybe even embrace the truth, but then they decide they're going to return 
back to their sin, return back to the life they, where they once were, and that life ends up being worse than the one that they lived before. You see this a lot with drug addicts. It's a sad, sad thing, and, and we've, I've dealt with it personally in my own family and with friends, and they say what happens so many times to the drug addict is they'll go through rehab, they'll clean themselves up. Well, see, now their body doesn't have the natural uh, build up toward the drug as it had when they were addicted. You know, they needed more and more and more to get high. Well, now that doesn't, they've, they've been clean so long, and then they go back and think they can take the level of drugs that they took when they were an addict, and it kills them. They overdose. Happens a lot. You know, because they don't just have a mistake where they stumble. When they stumble, they think they can go back and take the same amount of the drug that they did at the height of their addiction, but this time their body can't handle it. They have no resistance to it, and it kills them. This is really a great analogy for what Peter is talking about. You know, once you've been freed from sin and then you return to it, it usually turns out worse than it was before. And he says this will happen to the people who do that. An example of this, do you remember when Ruth and, um, and Orpah, you know, they both were, were married to Naomi's sons and the, and the sons died. And Naomi now is returning back to her people. They've been Moabites. Um, and they, they, they're now returning back. Naomi says, I'm going back to my people. And then Ruth says, hey, wherever you go, I'm going to go. I'm going to go back and be, I'm going to be like you. I'm going to become like your people. I'm going to leave this religion of the Moabites, and I'm going with Naomi back. Uh, and Orpah had the same opportunity to do that. But you remember that scene in the, in the book of Ruth where she's standing there, and she can go with Naomi, or she can go back to her people, and she decides she'll go back to her people. Well, see, that, that, that you got to decide whether you're going to be Orpah or you're going to be Ruth. You're going to go to redemption to be part of God's people. Or are you going to look at those that are going to, to, to repent and, and to, to be reconciled? And you're going to say, I want to be a member. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Or are you going to say, no, I think I'm going to go back to my sin. I'm going to go back to the world. Well, these false teachers have decided they have gone back to sin, and now they live a life of deception. And for those who fall for it, their life is worse than it was even before. And then there's 21. Then there's the truth rejected. Um, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment to deliver them. This is Matthew 11. I mean, I hear these words of Peter, and I think about Matthew 11. Turn with me to Matthew 11. This is Jesus, and Jesus is talking. And you've heard me mention this before if you've been part of this Bible study for, for years because it really is. It's one of those moments where you start thinking about apparently there are degrees of sin. Now, I'm not talking about some sins eat, need extra redemption. That's not what I'm talking about. All sin is redeemable at the same level. But I think we all would agree, would we not agree, that as far as the earthly repercussions for sin, though it varies wildly, you know, if, if all of a sudden I stowed your wallet off your desk and took the money out of it, that's sin. But if I walked in and shot you with the gun, both of those need redemption. But I promise you, me shooting with the gun had a much bigger impact on your life than me taking the money out of your wallet. So Peter uh, is talking about that it's going to be worse for those that knew 
the truth and were exposed to the righteousness of Jesus and rejected him. And Jesus talked about this very same thing in Matthew 11. He's, it's in verse 20, and it says that he began to denounce the cities where most of the mighty works had been done because why? They did not repent. Peter's talking about the same thing. They knew Jesus. They knew what Jesus required. They knew what, what they knew the whole deal, and they've rejected it, and it's going to be worse on them than those that did not know as much. And, and Jesus makes this clear too. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, Tyre and Sidon were both destroyed by God. Chorazin and Bethsaida, and we'll get to Capernaum here in a minute. These three cities is where Jesus did the, the most of his miracles. This was Jesus' ministry in these three cities. They saw all the biggies, but yet they still had not repented. He says they would have repented, talking about the cities that were destroyed. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, again, where Jesus did lots of his, his, his ministry. This is where Peter's from. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Now look at 24. But I tell you that it is more tolerable on the day, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now that doesn't mean that Sodom got a pass, right? They were destroyed. But Jesus is saying they didn't know what you knew. These three cities were wicked. They were dark. They were given shots at repentance. They rejected it. But if they had seen what you saw, hey, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, if, if, if Sodom, Gomorrah, Sidon, Tyre, if they had seen Lazarus back from the dead, if they had seen the feeding of the 5,000, if they'd seen the paralytic get up and walk, they would have repented. And you didn't. You should have known better. Now, I know where I live. I've been, I've been exposed to the gospel my entire life. On my way home today, I'll, see, I'll probably see the plan of salvation on a billboard on the way home today. Everywhere I go, I, there's more churches on my way home than probably anything else. So if I reject Jesus, here's what Jesus says, and this is what Peter's saying. Those of you that know better, judgment's going to be worse on you. So undoubtedly, just like there's going to be degrees of rewards in heaven for the redeemed, there's degrees of punishment for the condemned. And those that knew better will receive the worst judgment. This is straight from the Word of God. Verse 22. What the true proverb says has happened to them, those that know the truth and return to sin. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This comes from Proverbs 26.11, if you want to write that down. Proverbs 26.11. I've talked about this a lot. I know we live in a culture where I live in America where we have turned dogs into sometimes better than our children, the people of the Bible would have found that to be really weird. They thought dogs were nasty. And you know why? They are. You know what they, what they saw, what dogs eat? 
which is anything, including their own vomit. And so Peter is saying, you, can, you, you can't change the nature of a dog. And you can't wash a pig. It'll just get dirty all over again. And, and, and it says, no matter how foul or vile the apostate, these people will feed upon it. Animals betray their, only portray their true nature. You know what he says? So do apostates. A dog's just acting like a dog. A pig's just acting like a pig. I can remember so much. You remember, I don't know if you ever had this, but I remember my dad uh, used to use this term when I was getting a young, rowdy man. Man's a stretch word. A boy, an older boy. I was not a man. And we were rowdy. And he knew that we were starting to run with some people we shouldn't be running with. You know what he would say? Boy, you better start running with the dogs. You run with those dogs, you're going to get fleas. Don't act like dogs. And that's exactly what Peter is saying. He says, you know what? Those of you that have seen Jesus and you've rejected him, those of you that know the truth and you preach false doctrines and blasphemy and apostasy, heresy, is you just like an old dog that returns to his vomit. You're just like an old pig that you're presenting yourself as something other, but you just get back and roll in the nasty. And you're just showing us your, your true nature. Apostates throw out all this nastiness, and the dogs just eat it, and the pigs just lay in it. And Peter says, this is just revealing their true nature and yours. So where, where, where does this hit with you? Where does this hit with me? Well, number one, I, 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 you may be like me. I'm, uh, I have a, a new sense of motivation to be sure that I understand the gospel, that I understand the scriptures, and that I can spot an apostate. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And, and, you know, sometimes if you sit here and you start watching and you say, something in my spirit just isn't right, you probably have the Holy Spirit. It's probably just the Holy Spirit telling you, you don't need to be under the teaching of this person. Maybe you're watching this and maybe you're somebody who spreads heresy. Stop. Repent. Come into the authority of Christ. Some of you like to get out there and try to attack this Bible study and and try to undermine it, trying to maybe sometimes post things here that are apostasy, heresy. God will deal with you, I promise you. What, what we're doing right now is we're going through the Word of God, and we're taking it word for word, and we're going to apply it to our lives exactly the way God intended. And it's challenging, and it's, uh, it's convicting, but it should be. And if you're someone out there that maybe, you know, you were like me, you, you, you had a time in your life that you knew the truth, and, 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 and you even believed in it, but, but sin just was more enticing to you than redemption, it's not too late. It's not too late. Recognize it for what it is. Mud, vomit, and it's going to lead to your destruction. And stop acting like a dog. 
stop acting like a pig and come back and be redeemed into a child of God under the authority of Christ. Just repent. You know who God loves? The repentant. And he has provided grace for you and grace for me. And I promise you, if he can save me, as wretched as I have been in my life, saving you will not be a problem. Just repent. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. I pray against false teachers. I pray against apostates. I pray against the heresy and blasphemy that has found its way into far too many churches and on far too many cable channels. And I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you will deal with these teachers, that you will, that you will out them. And I pray for the sermon that comes from you. But maybe there's just a the person who's fallen under uh, the deception of these false teachers. And right now they've, they've caught this and they're, they're, they need to pray and they need to repent. Uh, Lord, I pray that you hear their hearts, that you draw them to you because you are a gracious, gracious God. You are slow to anger. You are patient. Praise the Lord for that. But we know that your wrath will come on all who have been deceived and all who have not been redeemed. And all that fall under the authority of these false teachers will be cursed with them. So I pray you free people that maybe are under this deception, that today maybe is a moment of clarity. Draw them to you, Lord Jesus. Reveal yourself to them. In your name we pray. Amen. Appreciate the time. If I can help you in any way, you can always get me Rick at rickandbubba.com. Lord willing, I hope you'll join us next week for our next Bible study. Thanks.